listening to Divorce Happy Hour with your host, Christina Previtt. And John Nocklinger. We're two divorce lawyers from New Jersey here to talk about love, life, and divorce. Whether you're thinking about divorce, going through one now, or been there, done that, or if you're just a divorce voyeur, this show is for you. To learn more about us and our law firm, you can find us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. You can also find us on social media. Just search for NJ Divorce Solutions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let us know if you like the show or hate the show and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Please keep in mind that this show is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to take the place of legal advice. If you need legal advice, please call New Jersey Divorce Solutions at 732-384-1550 and mention this program for a free consultation. Today's topic is top the top five things you need to do if you will be receiving alimony. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. Hopefully I don't offend anybody. You've already offended me. Okay, I know, right? It's not hard. <laughs> I just open my mouth and people get offended. But most of the time, it's the wife in a traditional husband-wife relationship. It's the wife that's receiving alimony. Obviously, we recognize that there are other situations out there where that might not be the case. But just for ease of reference, we're going to refer to the recipient here as the wife and the payor as the husband. And you just apply that to whatever your situation is. So that said, the topic is the five things you need to do if you're going to be receiving alimony. So this is probably someone who is not divorced yet, obviously. Maybe you're thinking about it. Maybe you have a complaint already filed. Maybe you're negotiating. Or maybe you have not uttered a word about it. So this is for you. Um, The top five things that you have to do, and there's actually a little bonus for you because I just couldn't limit it to five. So these are things that we feel like you really need to do. If you're even thinking about it and you really think you're going to go to the lawyer and get a divorce, please do these things. Don't wait until later. This will prime you and prep you to be in the best possible position. So the first one, naturally, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a lawyer, but please empower yourself. Get a lawyer. I have seen way too many situations where someone didn't get a lawyer. They just wanted to try to keep things amicable, and they thought the way to do that was to not get a lawyer. Well, you know, you can still keep things amicable even if you have a lawyer. The only thing you accomplish when you don't to get a lawyer is you you keep yourself ignorant to some degree. You're not educated. You can't make empowered decisions. You can't make informed, intelligent, educated decisions. So that's really all you're doing when you fail to get an attorney. You need someone to advise you. And let's not forget the whole reason that someone would get alimony is so that you can continue to maintain a standard of living similar to what you had during the marriage. So if you don't get an attorney and you don't find out sort of, I hate the phrase what you're entitled to. I hate when someone asks me what they're entitled to, but what would be appropriate in your situation if you don't go talk to somebody and you rely upon your friends or even worse, your husband telling you what you're entitled to, you might run out of the marriage, maybe not run out, that's not the right word, but you might leave the marriage um, with an amount of alimony that's really not appropriate and that you're going to really regret. I see a lot of guys, particularly like type A um, guys who really like to be in control, convince their wives to go to mediation. 
And, yes. and I feel like they do that because they think they can get their wives not to go talk to an attorney and get them to agree to something that really isn't appropriate in their case. Yeah, and I see the wives, too. I actually just had somebody come in today who had got, she's divorced already. She had gone to mediation because her husband wanted to go to mediation. And I, I'm not knocking mediation. I think everyone should go to mediation. But he told her not to get a lawyer. And then he got really angry with her when, when she did get a lawyer. And then I think she actually fired the lawyer because he got mad and she wanted to keep everything nicey nice and she really she screwed herself because she ended up giving away things that she shouldn't have and she did it because I don't know she felt some sort of obligation to try to get along with him and be friends and she really got nothing out of that because they didn't give her extra money and then they got divorced and like literally she almost never heard from him again I'm gonna use one of your phrases Christina when you're getting divorced, you're no longer on the same team. Yeah. You're, you're not. not. So you can't, you know, it's not, you're not on the same page anymore. You don't have, your interests have now diverged. So, um, yeah, get an attorney, get advice, empower yourself. And again, that might not mean that you have an attorney represent you throughout the whole process. That may mean you find out from an attorney what you should be looking for and then go to mediation. And yeah. ask and look for getting that amount of money. Yeah, so get the lawyer. At least go to somebody for a consultation and then just go from there. So number two, keep spending. So keep spending money. So, and I'm going to obviously clarify that. It doesn't mean run off to Neiman Marcus and go buy yourself a fur coat. <laughs> I mean, unless, you know, you were always in the habit of going to Neiman Marcus and buying fur coats. Don't just go on some wild shopping spree. What I mean is that what I see a lot of times is when someone's about to get a divorce, the wife will feel like they can't spend money, like they're supposed to be saving money or, you know, their, their husband's going to get angry with them because... You know, they bought a new pair of shoes. You are entitled to continue to spend money the way that you always did. So if you did go to Neiman Marcus and buy a fur coat every December, then you should do that. If you went on vacation every August, then you should do that. Whatever you have been accustomed to doing, you should continue to do that. Don't shortchange yourself now. And the reason for that is also... Because when the court has to look back over your spending habits over the past year or couple of years, you're hurting yourself if you stopped spending right before the divorce. Because it's going to be hard for you to say, but that was our lifestyle. You know, I went to Neiman Marcus and I went on vacation if you weren't actually doing that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I just was watching this old movie the other night. You, perhaps you've heard of it, True Beverly Hills. And at yes. the beginning of it, I mean, the whole movie, they're going through a divorce. And at the very beginning, she goes on a spending spree on Rodeo Drive. And she comes into the house and goes, and the best part is he's not going to get the bill till after the divorce is final. And I laugh at that. But you know what? She did exactly what she probably did during the marriage. And, you know, she looked at it as, oh, I'm just sticking it to this guy. But really, she probably did shop on Rodeo Drive during the marriage and go in all these shopping sprees. You're absolutely right, Christina. Whatever you did during the marriage, you have to keep doing it. Because if you stop, I think it's an easy argument to say, listen, you didn't need the money. Look at you. You're able to, you know, instead of shopping at Nemo Markets, you're able to go shop at TJ Maxx and, and Target and Walmart. Not to knock those places, but obviously those clothes cost a lot less than what you would buy at Nemo Marcus. And you don't want to give someone any opportunity to suggest that you should live on less now than you lived on during the marriage. 
that's right. And you know what? Don't do him any favors. If no. you if you went out shopping and whatever you spent your money on, if you went out to eat every day, keep doing that. You don't need to suddenly live like a pauper, like a homeless person in a box, because your husband has decided he wants a divorce. You just keep spending whatever, you, or even if it's you that decided you want the divorce, just keep, do status quo. Don't spend more. Don't spend extra. But continue to live the way that you always did. You deserve that. You don't need to suddenly cut back because someone else wants you to. That's right. Right. Right on. <laughs> Girl power. So, number three, go to the doctor or doctors. And what I mean by that is if you have a situation where maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or you're not for whatever reason you're not working, that's just what the status quo has been. You may have a situation where there is a concern that you're not going to have health insurance. Get all your doctor appointments done now. If you need to go get a mammogram, you go do that. If you need to go get a colonoscopy, go do that. What if you need a facelift? Hey, <laughs> if you need a facelift, you go get your facelift. You can call me if you want to talk about that. Hey, you that. know what? Going back to your number two, keep spending. What if the standard of living was I went to a plastic surgeon every six months and got Botox and you I was getting brow lifts and I was doing all these things. Continue. Well, I hope you didn't get more than one brow well, lift. You know. Unless you did one brow at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it wasn't a good job the first time and you yeah, get so it fixed. Not, I hope, or you got botched. But look, we're being silly, but I think the point is whatever doctor appointments you need, and that includes if you if you go to the uh, plastic surgeon and you get Botox or you get fillers once a year or what, whatever it is that you get, you're entitled to continue to do that. But if you think you, you're going to have a situation where you might not have health insurance or maybe you're going to have to downgrade your health insurance, just go to all the doctors now. If you've been meaning to get that you know, lump checked out, go do it now. Because if you need a larger procedure, you want to make sure that you take care of all of that while you still have the better health insurance. And I think that would also include mental health. Um, I really recommend anyone going through a divorce go to therapy. Um, whether or not you think you need it, you probably do. Um, just someone to talk to. And most therapists are covered by health insurance. So go use that health insurance while you have it and go yeah. talk to a therapist. And, and if you're not getting a divorce, well, you need therapy too. So. <laughs> All y'all need therapy. Okay? The therapists need therapists. <laughs> yes. Everybody can benefit from a little bit of therapy. So number four. And this is one that I've, I've heard attorneys argue about. I'll give my reasoning, of course. Look for a job, even if, you, if you've if you been a stay-at-home mom or you didn't work the past 30 years, you're probably going to be expected to go back to work, unless there's millions of dollars to go around to continue to maintain you without working, you're probably going to have to go work. I've had people say to me, well, shouldn't I just be lazy and stay home and, you know, it doesn't help my alimony claim if I'm not working? And my response to that is no, it doesn't, because the discussion is going to be, when are you going back to work? What can you do and how much can you make? 
if you've already gone back to work and found a job, then there really doesn't need to be much debate about where you're going to work and how much you're going to make because we already know. You went back to work. I mean, look, if you have a PhD and you could be a rocket scientist and you're working at McDonald's, that's not going to work. But if you're doing something that is commensurate with your skills and your work history, you know, if, if getting a job at Barnes & Noble is totally reasonable under the circumstances, circumstances, then that is the income that the judge will most likely use when we start talking about what alimony should be. So my advice is go get a job. And if you are able to go get a job where you don't even need alimony at all, then I, I'm, you know, girl power, I think you should do that. Go get a job and, and be independent. If you don't need alimony, then you know what? Go do what you can do for yourself so that you don't have to be dependent on anybody else. Absolutely. Because if someone's paying you alimony and they lose their job, get hit by a car, die, whatever, um, and they don't have life insurance, disability insurance, or they can't find another job, you may lose your alimony anyway. So you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, but what about the what about the person who got married at 19 because they were pregnant um, and then they haven't worked in 25 years or 30 years, didn't even go to college? What do you, would you say to somebody like that? Well, if there's not enough money in the marital estate or the husband's not making enough to really support you both at the marital lifestyle, then you're that woman is probably going to have to go to work and it she is probably very limited as to what she can do so perhaps getting a job at Barnes and Noble is going to be appropriate for her something where she's at least making minimum wage so start thinking about something that you would feel comfortable doing if you like being around kids maybe you could work in a daycare if you like being around books you know Barnes and Noble is your place you seem to be stuck That's on where Barnes I and Noble go. <laughs> Barnes and Noble is my happy place you know that John <laughs> um, but you know start Put your place, put yourself in a place of empowerment. Don't let everyone else tell you where you need to work. Because, oh, they're going to tell you that you should, you know, be making $100,000 a year at, I don't know, so, you know, be, like being a rocket scientist. Or, you, you know, you should go back to school and go be a doctor. Uh, that's what they're going to tell you. I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly. Only slightly. I mean, the people that say, oh, well, you got a degree in liberal arts 30 years ago. You should be able to go out and make $80,000 right now. Even yeah, though you in 30 years where tell me where I've, I've actually told adversaries you know what you go here's her resume you go go crazy submit her resume everywhere and you tell me who writes back but put yourself in a place of power think about what you want to do because you are going to have to go back to work unless you're going to just live on the alimony that you get and significantly reduce your lifestyle you're probably going to have to go back to work so have some control over that situation. Think about what you would want to do. If maybe you do need to go back to school for something and learn a trade, um, or you know maybe you could get a job as the receptionist at a spa or something like that. You know, I personally would go work in a plastic surgeon's office because then you get discounts on the services that they provide. I feel like I should just go do that. I feel now. like you've already done some research on this. Well, I know some people. <laughs> well, I mean, so. 
what's interesting about looking for a job is it's kind of a joke and kind of not that judges think that a rock can make $25,000 a year, but it, there's some truth to it. Judges will impute, and impute means we pretend you can make a certain amount of money. They basically look at just about anybody who doesn't have a job and say you can at least make 20 or 25, depending on where you are, it, the number will change. So knowing that you might as well go make that money because your support's going to be based on assuming that you can. And like Christina was saying, I really would never want to depend on somebody else. You have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And at the end of the day, the only thing you can depend on is yourself anyway. And particularly if you have kids. I don't know why you would want to, you know, sacrifice their futures by depending on somebody else writing you a check every month. I mean, granted, you should get that check if, if you're entitled to it because um, that's going to allow you to to maintain that standard of living for you and your children, but you shouldn't depend on somebody else. You just shouldn't. If you don't have to. I mean, we understand that there are situations where maybe you just don't have the capacity to go out and make $100,000. We understand that. But if you do, then absolutely I would encourage that. Go out, make your money, and you know, <laughs> tell your ex to, <laughs> well, you can fill in the blanks. <laughs> I'll keep it clean. Um, okay. So number five is gather financial records. And I, I, this is probably part of every single possible five, top five or top 10 list that we've done in terms of prepping for divorce or things that you should do at any point in the litigation. You need to educate yourself. You need to know how much do we have in our bank accounts. What if we had? What has been the spending? I, I always tell people to get at least the past year, but preferably like the past three years. Or if any period of time where you think there may have been some divorce planning or some questionable financial transactions, get those records. If your name is not on the accounts, you will be entitled to know what accounts there are. But if you can get them yourself, get them. Uh, maybe there's a file cabinet in the house. Oh, there's thunder and lightning. You guys can probably hear that. <laughs> See, that's ominous. It's the Lord telling you that you need to listen to these wise words. <laughs> um but, you know, look around the house. It's really amazing how many people just, they go up in the attic and they find, like, the past 25 years tax returns or, you know, the secret bank account records or something like that. Just snoop around the house. Yeah, you know, become, a private, around. become a private investigator. I mean, these days a lot of people don't have paper statements anymore. It's all electronic. But if particularly if you want the divorce and your spouse isn't, aware that that's what you want yet that's the perfect time to try to go around and find all these documents because they all have a way of disappearing yeah. when someone starts the divorce and passwords have a tendency to change and uh, particularly if one of the accounts is only in your spouse's name and you only have access to it because you know they're being a little uh, careless with the information because they don't they don't know that something's coming the second that a divorce is filed um, those records are going to start to disappear so the earlier and the faster that you can find all that stuff the better um, and I think the last three years is probably a good range to get um, it really depends on every case though uh, 
you know, it, retirement accounts, typically, you know, a couple years is fine. Bank statements, I don't know, unless unless you've been separated for a while, then you'll probably the last year or so is probably all you really need. Um, credit card statements are really easy to get, but it's the, it's the little things that are really challenging to find. Like if your spouse owns a business, and let's say that business is cash heavy, but there's a lot of evidence of how much money they make because of how much they spend, you know, on supplies and labor and all this other stuff. And there's records that maybe are kept by hand that you can start taking pictures of with your camera and whatnot. Be a little investigator. I tell everyone, I'm like, just be an investigator. Go around the house. Snoop around. Wait till they're asleep at night and take pictures. I know that sounds really bad, but this is your future. And if you don't do don't these think things, they're not going to do it. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to take every opportunity to get every leg up on you. They are. We're jaded. We are, but you know what? We've seen a lot. Yeah, it, it happens. That's it why happens. you're listening to this podcast, because you want somebody who's seen it all to tell you what you should and should not do. So make it your business to be nosy. Well, you're not being nosy. It's your own business, but... Go around the house, find pay stubs, find find papers that are laying around. Find, if you don't already know this information, find out what's the mortgage on the house. You know, what is there a loan on the car? These are the kinds of things that you're going to need to know when you actually sit down with your lawyer and start the financial planning aspect. You know, and while we're on this topic, it's not... It's not the same thing, but one thing that I see a lot of people spend a lot of time investigating is whether or not their, well, I'll use husband, whether or not their husband's having an affair. I see so many times people come in here with all this evidence of the affair. Here are the text messages. Here's the email. Here's the picture. Well, you know what? If you've decided a divorce is what needs to happen because of that infidelity, and we're not here to decide whether or not you should ever get divorced because of that but if that's what you if that's what you think um, don't waste your time on all of that because guess what you, the attorney's going to tell you it doesn't matter so spend all that energy that you have investigating who they're having this affair with and spend it going and getting all the financial documents yeah it's not relevant i know it's important to you because it's hurtful and it's hurtful to have someone that you love lying to you and you know we get that but from a legal perspective it's just not relevant at all the judge doesn't want to hear it they have a busy day every day they have a lot of things they have to sift through and it just doesn't matter if your spouse cheated on you but that is something you should discuss with your therapist <laughs> so number six is the bonus when i was doing this list i really had i, I just couldn't limit it to five so the sixth one for me, if you're receiving alimony, now if you're paying alimony, my advice will be different, but you'll hear that on the next show. But if you are going to be receiving alimony, don't list the house for sale. Don't do it because this is what's going to happen. You're going to sell the house. You're still going to be involved in litigation. Your alimony will not have been decided yet. And then all of a sudden, you're scrambling, like, well, where am I going to live? Am I buying a house? Am I renting an apartment? What am I doing? Am I living in a box under a bridge? And how much money am I getting? I don't even know how much I have to live on. So it may seem like a good idea, like, oh, yes, let's, let's sell the house. You know, the spring is the market. That's what everybody says. Sell your house in spring. I don't know how everybody can predict that, but that's what they all say. 
So if you find yourself getting a divorce in January and your spouse is, this is exactly what they're going to say. You know, we have to list the house by March because it's a seller's market and everything sells in the spring. <laughs> it's not going to sell in the winter. I, I'm tired of hearing I'll it, okay? You too. can sell your house anytime. But that's what they're going to tell you. And I'm telling you right now, don't list it. You need to know what your alimony is going to be before you list it. The only exception would be if you've already agreed on some temporary support amount and it's very favorable to you. If it's lowballed, then you're going to say no. We're not doing that. I'm going to stay in the house and you're going to keep paying all the bills, honey. Because that will give you some leverage to get them to settle. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's almost as important of a reason to not list the house as you don't know how much money you're going to get. And that's that you want the person that's making more money, that's paying more bills, to feel that pressure, that they need to get the case over with. Because guess what? The alimony is not going to start until the case is over. Yeah. And especially if you're paying a term, just a you know, basically a certain number of years of alimony, you want that to start like yesterday. You want it to get going so it'll be over quicker. So yeah, put you need to do all the pressure you can to get someone to settle. And this is a perfect way to do it because you know, quite frankly, after you start a divorce, no one wants to live in the same house anyway. Um, and a lot of times what happens is the person with more money moves out and then they really start to complain. They're like, I can't afford all this. And you're like, well, guess what? All you have to do is settle. Settle, we'll sell the house and you can pay alimony and uh, you can be on. So it's a good pressure point. Yeah, actually, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to sell the house, what... What I really mean is that if you don't let someone talk you into selling the house, if you want to stay in the house, you know, there are ways sometimes that you can do that. And you could speak to your attorney about that if that really makes sense for you. So I hope that this list was helpful. There's actually plenty more where this comes from. And if you want to know additional secrets, please call us for a consultation. Or if you want some advice about some of the things that we've already discussed, please call New Jersey Divorce Solutions at 732-529-6937. And you can also check out our website at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. Thank you for listening.